the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com. Good to be back with you again for another week. Um, last week, uh, we featured Derry Llewellyn Davis. I was away for a short break, and uh, we were talking about strategy on a page. And if you haven't had the chance to listen to that recording, I'd really recommend it. I personally use the uh, methodology myself with my business, and I shared it last week my achie- with my Achiever Program group, and they absolutely loved it. So um, it's there in the archive. It's uh, free, so I'd recommend uh, having listened to that if you can. Uh, I just mentioned that I've been away for a few days uh, last week. It was uh, an Easter break over here, and I went and visited the city of York with my family. Uh, we were learning all about Vikings and Romans. And uh, it was very interesting, I think, talking to my six-year-old who loves archaeology and he's, he's we've got all sorts of pots and things he's dug up in the garden all sitting um, outside the front doorstep. I think the highlight of his trip was being shown um, the world's record, um, the biggest ever piece of uh, Viking poo that's ever been discovered. And he seemed to think that was quite quite hilarious. Um, but just quite interestingly, um, you know, there's one or two people think that the economy is um, a bit like uh, that word, at the moment, um, although I have to be honest, I meet uh, a lot of business people uh, where their business is really flowing. Um, so they're clearly doing certain things just right. Um, so a few weeks ago, I was talking with my guest today, Mike Ogilvie, and uh, Mike was so impressed, uh, impressed me with some really great ideas about growing your business in tough times. And, uh, and uh, one of them in particular, I've, I've taken on board after chatting with him. So I know we're going to be in for a treat today. And we're going to talk about the common mistakes that businesses make during recession, including the biggest profit robbers in any business and the easiest ways to increase your profits. Now, Mike's an experienced chartered accountant by training. However, I don't want you to think of him as being a bit of a dull um, person by profession because he certainly isn't. Um, he's although the major shareholder and managing director of chartered accountants and business advisors, OBC, the accountants. Most of his time is focused on work as one of the UK's leading profit coaches, this company, the profit team. Uh, Mike's a master practitioner of NLP, that's neuro linguistic programming. He's the founding director of the Association of Profit Advisors. Uh, when he's not using his skills and experience helping his clients and increasing their profitability, he's an international and motivational speaker talking at conferences and seminars in the UK and around the world, uh, among other things, inspiring them um, about how to adopt a profit culture in their businesses. He was telling me he was brought up in Africa 
and uh, now obviously resides in the, the United Kingdom. We'll find out more about him soon. A big welcome to my guest today, Mike Ogilvy. Thank you very much, Chris. Good, good to hear you, Mike. Yes, uh, good I, to speak to you. Good. I, I hear that uh, I stopped you from having a, a drink over lunch today uh, with uh, one of our friends, um, Derek Arden, who's been on the show before, uh, and you had to have a, a cup of tea or something. So I do apologise for that. <laughs> I was quite happy with my Diet Coke. I'll make sure I have a wine this evening to make up for it. <laughs> now, I've been looking at your website uh, after we after we first chatted. I've not actually looked at it before, and and you know, the personally, uh, you know, personally, probably that there is this stereotype about um, accountants being slightly dull. And I know you're a very interesting guy, and your site uh, is very interesting as well. You know, is this a deliberate strategy? Or, or does it just come naturally to you? I suppose it, it comes. It's both, actually. I suppose it comes naturally in that I'm I'm slightly more extrovert than you would call your traditional accountant. Uh, and uh, I mean, I've I was brought up and trained as an accountant. My far, I, I thought I was going to become a, an airline pilot. Um, and then when they they stopped training pilots back in the seventies, I thought I'd become a diplomat. My, my father said he didn't want. Uh, any of his children ever becoming a civil servant or a bureaucrat. So I ended up going into the profession, uh, probably by his direction. But I soon got bored with uh, just being a traditional accountant, and I was always looking for something different. Uh, so what I found was that what I really enjoyed was helping people to be more successful. So uh, in order to do that, uh, I couldn't just uh, rely on what I'd learned. So I had to go and learn lots of new skills and, and continue to learn. And I find... Um, life now is just one continual learning path. I'm always out there looking for new ideas um, or looking at variations of existing ideas to see how they can be implemented. So I, I suppose my sight is just saying it's a reflection of my life, a reflection of actually not, not all accountants can be boring, although an awful lot are. Thank goodness they are because it helps me to be a bit more successful in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess the you know, with speaking and speaking internationally you mentioned about air, being an airline pilot when you were younger I, I wanted to be in the navy not because i wanted to be in the navy ju just because i saw it as a route to travel uh and, and the great thing about speaking and if you're doing it internationally uh, is that you have the opportunity to travel with it so absolutely yes yeah I, I think we're very privileged because uh not only does it get us personally uh, the chance to visit new places and meet new people. But it, from a business perspective, it gets me to, um, to meet other businesses uh, in different rounds of the world, uh, areas of the world. So whether it's um, uh, one interesting uh, place is Tehran in, in Iran. And I've also sort of been into some of the smaller cities in Iran. And I can't say I would um, ever have gone out to Iran unless I'd been invited um, to speak and paid to speak out there. And, you know, you, we've all got our stereotype uh, um, image of, what we see in Iran on our news. But, of course, we were dealing with the educated people, um, educated business people, and, and lo and behold, uh, their problems in business are exactly the same as um, our problems in business, as the America's problems in business and everybody else's problems in business. You know, business is a universal currency, universal issues, uh, and it's, it's of comfort, you know, even when I go to Africa, people have got their own ideas. Um, they think, well, it's totally different to what it's in. I said, it's just different, just different sizes and different emphasis. So I, f I find it's very easy. I mean, back in the 90s, I, I went, I started going over to Chicago 
to attend the conference of the Institute of Profit Advisors then. And that was there just to find out were, were uh, um, businesses in America totally different to what we found in uh, the UK. And I, I soon learned that it was just different emphasis. So uh, you've got different culture, but uh, overall business is the same. You've got, still got the same visit, uh, business fundamentals. So I visited Chicago several times and, and then sort of went to double check it, um, visiting some successful advisors in San Francisco. And again, they just confirmed the same thing that, uh, you know, the fundamentals are the same the world over. So we're very lucky. Um, and I've learned a lot and keep learning. Great. Great. So it's, uh, yeah, two, two lovely cities there. What, what, um, what is your assessment of the current business climate? So it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, sometimes I'm working out of parts of, uh, the country where, you know, things do seem quite difficult. And then other times I'm working in, say, central London and it feels like, you know, money is, uh, and business is, is abundant. I mean, what's your assessment from, you know, working in, you know, in, in Africa and the United Kingdom and Europe and the States and places like that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's certainly, um, so when you go to London, you think, well, what recession? I went to Barcelona. And I thought, what recession? Um, I've been to other parts of the world and it's clear they are clearly suffering. I mean, I just say with the businesses that I advise, um, let's choose not to take part in recession. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an attitude of mind. Clearly we're in uncharted territories. I mean, this is worse, uh, potentially worse than back in the thirties. Uh, we've got new rules of engagement in, um, economies around the world and everyone is really being very wary to avoid the disaster. Of protectionism that is is just a natural instinct for everyone to adopt uh, but unfortunately protectionism is one of those factors that caused the world depression in the 30s and ultimately the second world war so god forbid we're we're not uh, going to be going anywhere there but uh, clearly the current business climate is very much trial and error i mean america's um used uh, currency to uh, expand so they're pumping out money into the economy to try and create business and it's working but They've got to stop somewhere, and uh, hopefully the, be, be when they put the brakes on, they've actually got enough growth, because when uh, America um, sneezes, the world does definitely catch a cold. They're still very much uh, the buying, uh, buying basket of the world. Europe's um, in austerity because Germany says so, uh, but then we've also got the BRICS nations who are accumulating reserves, so it's not everybody is suffering. So we've got different theories and nobody knows what's the right theory. I mean, Germany, you can understand because of what happened to them in the 30s. Um, I personally believe the best thing for Europe is Germany to leave the euro because they're so successful and the rest of the European countries are so unsuccessful that they're being held up by Germany. And the, the best thing would be to let them float downwards and trade at a lower value uh, to reflect the basket case nature of their economies. Uh, it's a really tough times, and it's creating the uncertainty um, that causes problems for every business throughout the world now. So you mentioned things like there, like you know, protectionism, um, people wanting to protect and not spend, and and what have you, and 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 uh, and, and have the levels of risk perhaps uh, minimise the risk. Um, what are you other sort of issues that you're finding that your customers facing right now out there? Yeah, I think that, I think that basically sums it up. Uncertainty. There's uncertainty about the future. There's uncertainty about funding from the banks, and there's uncertainty about sales because uh, competitors are um, so many competitors are reducing prices. They're allowing their goods and services to become commoditized, and um, 
And as such, so many businesses are finding uh, struggling to find ways of differentiating themselves. It's a, a real, real issue that uh, and it all comes down to uncertainty. Hmm. So, so when it comes to profit right now, what are the common mistakes you find people making in, in business today? You, you describe that, we, you know, there's this attitude and we have to set our own kind of climate. Um, what, what are the mistakes you're finding that are occurring? Well, I think, yeah, I, I think uh, it stems with quite often it's a lack of vision. Um, people are so busy um, just rolling up their sleeves and working, doing it, doing it, doing it, that they don't give themselves time to think. And if they're not giving themselves time to think, they're not giving themselves time to plan. And that's uh, a real issue, I find, because we, I know we'll talk, probably talk about strategic planning uh, later on. But uh, I find that's just a, an, almost like an academic principle in too many businesses. People do, don't give themselves time to plan. And uh, that means that short-term thinking um, governs their decision-making and the wrong decisions are made because the, those owners are not thinking with the end in mind. Um, you know, there's there's lack of uh, key performance indicators in terms of measuring. Um, they're not haven't got systems to create value. They haven't got systems to capture the profit robbers that I talk about, um, because in the end they they do what everybody else is doing and they chase sales rather than profit. It's a real real big issue, and uh, it, people find it very hard to uh, find that because they you know they traditionally they've always said it's all about sales, and I'm trying to say to them look. Um, make fewer sales but make more profit mm. <clears throat> does that does that also mean by not not sitting back and looking that they might be providing products and services that were uh, more suitable to a market a few years ago as opposed to what's required right now not not necessarily but it's it's just the pressures when when you get people panicking and the natural reaction is oh we must drop our prices um, they're taking the, uh, they're asking the wrong questions. And so because they're asking the wrong questions, they're, um, they're making, uh, um, the wrong decisions. And so it's not necessarily about, uh, providing stuff the same as the past, but it's, uh, it's the wrong sort of management principles that they're applying, I find. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so, 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 I mean, what sort of, uh, principles do you think they should be applying or be mindful of today? Well, I, I think it's a question of uh, measuring what matters. So it's, um, it depends on um, what matters to them. You know, most people, most businesses, I would have thought, have already trimmed their costs. But there are areas, you know, so I talk about profit robbers where people could do more. And they're the sort of things where accounting software don't measure. There's some words that begin with miss, uh, words begin with re, and words begin with un. So like mistakes, misfiled. Uh, misunderstood um, words that begin with re rebuild redundant uh, redo um, words begin with un unnecessary unplanned and you sort of find that it's amazing that people who do something really well but totally unnecessary because they've always done it that way and nobody's actually challenged them to say it's actually really necessary to do in the first place and mm -hmm. it's the accounting software doesn't measure it then th these are all examples of waste um, that uh, people don't measure and they're the easiest things to uh, cut out of a business. Do, do you have an example of anyone that you've seen who is uh, a, a case study or something that fits into that category of, of waste? Sort yeah, of there was a, I mean, there was a great example um, from uh, past years where, which I think illustrates the point where a waste disposal company 
um, they were they weren't making enough profit, and uh, a profit coach was following them around and uh, asking the team what uh, what could we do to improve the profits. And uh, they were going to a tip as they went to the, with the lorry, and the lorry said, um, the driver of the lorry said, I never understood why I sit in the cab when we're on the Weybridge. And that one little step when they the people got out of the uh, the cab on the Weybridge actually ended up um, saving them an awful lot of money. And they said, well, why didn't you say that before? And he said, well, nobody ever asked us. And it's just a silly little um, example, but it so illustrates the point that uh, quite often sometimes the team know what they could be doing better, but there's not systems in place to actually capture the knowledge and experience within the team. <coughs> and ask them, and I guess sort of senior senior people in the business making the decisions without um, being down at the shop floor. I mean, I always love that program, Undercover Boss, and if you ever watch that, uh, and they really seem to get all sorts of value, don't they, from being down at the sh- on the ground floor. Uh, well, that's right, because they always say, if you want to know what's going wrong with the business, ask the receptionist. They, they always know everything, uh, because they see everything and they know everything. And so if you want to know, they'll soon tell you. But of course, nobody listens to the receptionist. Okay, we're going to come back um, after the commercial break and we're going to look at things like you know, really important questions like, you know, should you be reducing your prices in today's climate? Uh, and I know there's some, uh, some great information that's going to be shared after the break. So do join us in just a couple of minutes. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the achiever program one-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision, and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, bemoreachievemore.com and cc1consulting.com. And if you've got any questions that you would like us to answer... Um, or you have uh, any thoughts on the show, please do send them to me. I do love to hear from people. Um, <clears throat> Mike, a really important question, I think. Let's start with, you know, should you be reducing your prices in today's climate? 
Well, uh, I would say that there's uh, massive pressure on everybody to reduce the prices, and uh, sometimes it's the right thing to do. Um, say when you're starting a business, um, you could be reducing your prices um, to uh, get yourself established in the market, so you get to know. But you've got to be very careful that uh, if you are offering a special price, um, people don't perceive it to be your normal price. And I, I was advising a, um, a care home recently that was starting up, and I said, look, your price has got to be £1,200 per week. Now, if you are offering an £800 per week uh, to be a bit more competitive, make sure that you explain to everybody that it's there for six months and uh, your normal price is £1,200 a week. Because if once you've uh, established that as your normal price, there's no going back. And uh, there's so much pressure. I always say if, if you uh, can reduce your costs of sale, um, what it costs to make your goods or to provide your services, then great, that gives you a bit of leeway. But you've got to try, rather than just increasing your sales, you've got to try and increase the margin you make on your sales. So if I can reduce my price from £100 to £80, I've got to try and reduce my costs. If I've been used to making a £20 profit, I've got to reduce my uh, my cost uh, down to £60. So I'm still making my £20 uh, profit. And that that's the challenge. And people... People can pass it down the line and see if they can buy better. <clears throat> How do you do that if you're, I mean, some people will be listening to this, I know, who are, you know, single business owners providing services, and, and to all intents and purposes, the majority of their services provided by themselves. Yeah. Um, bar, bar paying yourself less, uh, maybe cutting some supply costs, uh, what do you do? Well, it's, it's amazing. You, you sort of think when you're on a, a small business that there is no, no way around, but even in uh, accountancy business that I run, uh, I'm, uh, I, we were really surprised because we thought we were quite good at uh, managing costs. But we went to one of these uh, um, national buying um, organizations, in this case a chain called Auditel, who uh, looked at our costs and said, for example, on stationery, on cleaning materials, um, out on uh, postage meters, because they actually had national buying um, facilities, they could uh, buy the same services that we were buying at far better rate than we were, and they, they take a proportion of the savings. But even with that, there's still a big saving to what we could make. So we were amazed because we didn't think there would be possible for anybody to reduce uh, prices because we were already pretty keen. So I think by joining together, you see the little shops join together in buying consortium. That's That really is quite a good way, but you've just got to be so, so careful um, to make sure that you are retaining your margin, because without profit, you have no future. I guess it really is worth uh, worth challenging that. I remember I used to have a, a business where we used to we were we were a procurement consultancy, and we we took a percentage of saving. Yes. Um, one particular example where the client just said, "There's no way, there's no way you can get a better deal than we can," and uh, and we we saved them three and a half million pounds and took a nice percentage of it. Yes, absolutely. Um, it just completely changed the, uh, you know, the perception. Well, I, I have clients who are too proud sometimes to allow uh, other consultants to come in and even challenge it because, they, you know, they're not committed and just say, look, if we can just prove that we can do it, then you can decide whether or not you want to do it. So you don't actually have to commit. Um, if just, just test it to see. But sometimes they're too proud saying, well, that just shows that I haven't been doing my job properly. I said, no, it isn't. It just means you haven't got access to a national buying uh, facility that the other people do. Yes, they can be a very painful process for people if they, they sometimes want to be very protective. 
Yes. And, and, but the reality of is in these situations, you have to be, you know, really open to what's, what's possible. Uh, and if That's you right. work in a business, it's not, it's not necessarily your business. It's, um, you know, you're working for that business and, and you need to be as open, I think. Yes. As you can be. Uh, and those people who are, uh, 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 you know, get on the best. And those people who fight against it, um, eventually get caught out is what I've found. Yes. So, so what do you have to do to get people to actually pay you more right now? Right. A very important question. And I, I think I would say quite simply, and I know it sound, probably sounds a bit trite, uh, is offer better value. Now, how you do that, well, we'll discuss that shortly um, because we have to accept nobody wants to pay more than they need to. But uh, people are always prepared to pay more if they feel that it represents good value. So, you know, when you, you if you look, think about the shirt you're wearing or the car you came in, uh, you drove uh, home with. Is it the cheapest car you could have bought? Is it the cheapest shirt that you could wear? Um, you, you, there's other criteria that make you decide about uh, what you buy. And so we accept that nobody needs to pay more than they need to, but uh, it all comes down to our perception of value. <clears throat> okay, so you, so you, and you can shift that perception of value? Very much so. Quite, quite so what, I mean, what ways have you seen people actually do that? Well, there's um, there's all sorts of ways, but it's normally around the service wrapper, and it's all about education. And I think, uh, um, you know, I'm conscious of the the time in this particular section. I think probably we we give it a bit more time um, later on in this discussion, so that we can uh, go through that at that stage. Okay. So, so um, tell me about. I mean, when, when we chatted, one thing that stuck out, being a small business owner in the conversation and, and I found it helpful and I went away and really reflected on it and that was you said to me Mike and that you should always pay the owner first and um, do, do you want to share that concept with people uh, yes you, in, in, it's, it's, in, it's, it's quite controversial when I'm speaking at conferences and uh, some team members are there and you say well the boss must be paid first and they think that's uh, sort of outrageous that uh, why should the boss always be paid first and, uh, and by the boss I mean the owner of the business because too many owners, in my experience, genuinely believe that they must be the valves in their business. And if anybody's got to go short at the end of the month when times are hard, it's got to be them. And I think this is fundamentally wrong because I think by doing this, it just puts off the inevitable when the business will fail because it delays them asking the right questions and finding the right answers. So if they're not asking the right questions, the wrong decisions get made. And it's uh, what they've got to do is make sure they take the money. And if that means they're going to run out of money, why is it they're running out of money? Let's deal with the issues that matter. Not uh, Let's not disguise the fact by uh, not taking the money ourselves because you're the ones who are taking the risk by running the business, by starting the business in the first place. So you're the ones who should make sure you're getting enough money. And then you'll get the pressure from the uh, from your team to make sure you make the right decision so they don't go out to go without at the end of the month. <clears throat> so... So should a business owner, you know, be, if, if they've got a certain level of salary that they're used to, might be, might be a high level of salary, it might not, um, but should they be prepared to flex that if things get tough? Or are you saying that they should try and see it, see it out at that consistent level moving forward? I, I have no problem with people flexing temporarily, but uh, as long as temporarily doesn't become permanent. And in my experience, it often becomes permanent. And I think that, as I say, it disguises the fact that uh, there are other issues that need, need to be put right. And it's far better for them to deal with those issues immediately rather than disguising, because sometimes it means they won't have time to, um, to uh, put the problems right in the first place. 
And he said to me, he, he said earlier that we would talk about strategic planning. And yeah. I think it's a good time to do that. We've probably got two or three minutes, four minutes till we get to commercial break. Yes. What, what is it, just so that we're clear, and then how do you best go about it? Okay, and that's very, very, very important because even small and big businesses, I find, it's becoming too much of an academic exercise these days. And you find strategic plans uh, are done and uh, they look very grand in their binders and they, they either end up going to the bank uh, as a reason to get some funding, but then they end up becoming a doorstop or gathering dust on a bookshelf. Whereas a proper strategic plan uh, should actually be a working, active working uh, document that is transferred into the systems of the business. So I would say if you think about the Stephen Covey principle of starting with the end in mind, you need to think about what's your business going to look like in three to five years, say, not just one year. Think it, what's it going to smell like? What's it going to feel like? How many, how many offices, how many factories or how many people are you going to have working for you? If you know that, you can then start thinking about your decision making with the end in mind, because especially regarding recruitment, for example, short term decisions cause real bad problems because they they're not thinking about the long term. So they might think, oh, well, we'll buy whoever's available in the market at the moment. We'll pay, we'll recruit them. But that person might be the wrong person for that business. So the easiest way is to define your what very clearly. I think strategic planning is very simple. Define your what. Most people don't define their what because they want to get stuck into their how you i then say well after defining your what what is it that you want to achieve why do you want to achieve that is that just because somebody else has told you or do you really feel comfortable is it the right thing for the business and only when you've satisfied yourself that the why is right should you get into the how and that's that can be broken down into the who where when um when you break down in break, break down your plan but most businesses just uh, we're brought up by grandmother to roll up your sleeves, do a good hard day's work, and uh, that way you'll uh, you'll be successful. It doesn't work anymore. You've got to work smart, not work hard. You know, you, in working hard, um, as long as you work smart, that's fine. But just working hard on its own without thinking smart, you've got a real problem. Mm. So I think strategic planning is quite simply um, be very clear on your what, be very clear on your why that it's right for you and right for your market, and only then, once you're clear about it, um, devise your how. Do, do you find, I've only got a couple of minutes left, but do you, do you find the commercial break, do you find that you know, certain leaders of businesses are, particularly if their natural style is to be very hands-on, you know, if they come from an operational background and they've worked for somebody and then they're now doing it themselves, um, with those sorts of people, do you find things like strategic planning more difficult than maybe those people who are more visionary or Yes, I, I think I do. I I, I think it's uh, some of them feel it's a bit airy fairy. It's a bit a lot of theory sounds great, but isn't necessary in practice. And I I think it's wrong because what the, what they're saying is it's all about the short term. It's all about what the bank what's in the bank now. It's what we're having to deal with next week. And so to to think ahead for three to five years isn't easy. Uh, but if you know what you want to achieve you'll know whether your decision is going to be right. If you're just thinking about what you're doing in six months' time, you could be making the wrong decision. Actually, what you need to do is um, get more finance, um, get the better people to help you take the business where it should be going um, if you are successful. Great. Well, we're going to come back and, and talk about 
uh, some other key areas, and uh, we're going to talk about um, being mad rather than sad after the break as well, so that'll be worth <laughs> finding more out about. So we should be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreCheatMore.com and CC1Consulting.com. And with my co V, we're talking um, all about um, profit in, in hard times. And, uh, you know, I just briefly mentioned before the break that um, Mike had told me that you need to be mad uh, rather than sad. So, uh, Mike, uh, what do you mean and how do you best go about che- achieving it? <laughs> right. So, um I always love the saying that uh, I can't remember who whose quote it was, but too many people are working so hard being ordinary that they don't have time to be exceptional or extraordinary. And uh, I, I, I just find that is in so many businesses that uh, it's uh, it's the monotonous routine, the, um, what Michael Gerber in his e-myth calls the tyranny of routine, uh, doing it, doing it, doing it all the time. And uh, I, I talk about triple uh, A service, uh, the three types of service. Um, there's awful service, there's all right service, and there's amazing service. And which which one does nobody ever talk about? You know, so, and the answer, of course, is all right service. You know, when was the uh, when was the last time um, that you went to a restaurant and said, "I went to this new restaurant last night, and the service was all right." But if it if it was a um, absolutely amazing. They made you feel wonderful and they treated you differently. You'd go and tell 20 people about it. Um, whereas if, uh, if it was really awful, you'd go and tell 30 people about it. And it's, uh, you know, what we've got to do is find a way of being amazing. Uh, because that's the great way of uh, being magnificent and dazzling because suddenly our marketing budget is slashed bits because we don't need to spend money because our customers do all the talking for us and they become our advocates and our ambassadors. 
But of course, which service do most of us offer? What do most businesses offer? They offer all right service. Um, the reason for that, the accountants, the sales prevention department, as I call them, in the business, they interfere. They, they sort of say, you can't do that. It's going to cost more money. But actually service, apart from training and an attitude, doesn't cost a lot more money. Um, sometimes you just have to add a bit to it. Um, but it makes an amazing difference to people's perceptions of um, your product or your service in terms of the way your team actually deliver the service. So my motto, quite simply, is don't be sad, satisfactory and dull like everybody else is. Be mad, be magnificent and dazzling. And then you'll find the world will be talking about you and you won't have to actually spend money on marketing like you have been because the world will do your marketing for you. Fantastic principle. So MAD stands for Magnificent and Dazzling. And uh, if you take one thing away from the show today, then I think that's a really good principle to take away because those businesses who stand out and individuals um, I know who perform really well uh, are magnificent and dazzling. We've actually got a, a company, uh, the chief executive of a company in a few weeks, a company called Anesco, uh, coming onto the show. And, and then they're for their... I think it's their third year. They've got about seventy-seven million pounds of orders, uh, and the guy just oozes magnificent and dazzling when you talk to him. Um, it's just a really great example of, of what you just just shared there, Mike. Yes. So, is is this um, how you get people to really talk about you then in, in today's information overloaded world of, of Facebook and Twitter and emails and? I think I think so. Uh... I think it's quite simple. There's a guy called Steve Pipe uh, who's quite well known in the accountancy world. Uh, uh, he's sort of one entrepreneur of the year in Britain for quite a while. He's uh, he's a thinker, and he came out with the very simple but uh, quite appropriate motto: If you want people to talk about you, you need to give them something to talk about. And that's always always struck home. And I've always thought, but hopefully it'll be something positive to talk about because uh, you know people will definitely talk about it if it's something negative. Um, and if we've got something uh, positive, then people will do it. You know, you'll find yourself talked about in LinkedIn, your Facebook, you'll have pictures, pictures of uh, whatever you're doing on, on Facebook, and it will be spread around the world. I mean, social media is just a massive part of marketing these days, and it's just a great way, uh, let alone Twitter, of course. It's, it's a re- really good point, that, isn't it, Mike? It's, it's about thinking about things that you can do which – maybe set you or your your company apart and as you say get people to talk about you it's been a you know fascinating journey for me with this radio show we're now to the show sort of 73 but we were just talking in the break that we're both speaking at the same conference actually around the strategy super congress um that derry Llewellyn Davis is running in a, at the end of April in London um I wouldn't have been doing that if it hadn't have been for doing this show um yes. It's it's given you know it it it's given me a bit of a point of difference from for providing this content and and getting to know great people like yourself, Mike. That's very kind of you. That's another fiver I owe you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm also really interested. One thing I notice a lot, and and indeed I, I use it myself. I'm just trying to think now how blatant it is on my websites, but I think it's there in different guises is this notion of money back satisfaction guarantees uh, i remember when i first offered 
one myself, my wife said, oh, well, you can't do that. What happens if someone uh, asks for the money back? Well, I've never ever had that before. Um, yeah, exactly. I, tend, I tend to use it. I mean, what do you think about it? I think I use it and uh, it's, you know, so, so many conference speeches I've had uh, when I say to people, look, if, if, you've, if you pay me and you think I'm rubbish, um, just ask for your money back uh, because I, the last thing I want you to do is to be um, dissatisfied. Luckily, I've never been asked for my money back. But what you've got to do is make it easy for people to say yes. And, uh, you know, if you, if you are rubbish, if your product's rubbish, if your service is rubbish, they're going to complain anyway and you're going to probably end up having to give them the money back. So why not just wear it on our sleeve and tell and offer that to people and say, look, I'm, I'm so confident uh, that I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to give you a total satisfaction guarantee. And I believe in it, and I, you, I've used it for many years now. And, I, and actually, research has shown in a sales uh, uh, basis that a good guarantee, the difference between a good guarantee and a bad guarantee, because you see so many guarantees that you think, well, that's a bit iffy, that guarantee. But a good guarantee that's totally clear um, and transparent gives you a 60% better chance to make that sale than a bad guarantee. So if that's the case, um, it's well worth doing. Mm. So, uh, so within that, we're kind of talking, aren't we, around sort of a sales strategy, and that's kind of a pricing strategy. Uh, how do you, and there's some of the things we're talking about are clearly um, very sales related. And what's the best way, in your view, to develop a really good sales strategy? Um, I think first you have to understand your market, what they actually want. And uh, the, the old saying about fishing in the ocean where the fishes are. Uh, so many times I see businesses who say, I've got this great idea. And I said, it's a fantastic idea, but I don't think anybody wants it. Um, you know, there's, uh, I remember I was advising a kitchen supplies business. They were manufacturers. And one of the things they supplied was can openers. Um, they spent a fortune in marketing and they were sponsoring uh, super chefs, the ones who are really well known, who appeared on television, they were getting involved in really expensive marketing and uh, they just weren't selling enough uh, can openers. So I called in a marketing advisor in our team to come and have a look at this with me. And uh, the question that he asked was, well, where are the customers who use can openers in bulk? And he said, he came up with saying, follow the can opener. Um, which was so basic, but uh, the marketing director and sales director was was a bit inexperienced and wanted to come up with lots of glitzy, glamorous uh, marketing things, but really was having no effect. So when they did that, followed the can open, they realized it wasn't, there were none in top quality restaurants. Top quality restaurants never bought it and never used anything out of a can, but schools did, hospitals did, prisons did, hotels did, in certain extent, care homes and army camps. So once they'd realized that, the marketing focus then was changed and they didn't waste their money sponsoring things um, to be more effective. So to be focused, you've got to know where your market is and make once you know where that market is, make sure you check what they actually want uh, in that market. And if, if you if you've got that information, you can develop your niche there. You you know, the old term go narrow and deep. Don't don't try and um, satisfy everybody. Just satisfy the people who want it and just make sure you satisfy them properly. Go Go deep and try and be as uh, deep as possible for that niche or as the americans will say niche as i my american friends tell me that i i don't pronounce it properly and i realize it's difficult but uh, i always say just get advice from a specialist because we can't be um, all things to all men get the get the right knowledge into help us and the specialist just like my marketing man did with this son 
he stopped us getting trapped in our own paradigm of thinking and helped create our own focused sales strategy plan. And, and do you think that sales strategy could have multiple niches in it? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, no, you you don't have to be one niche, but just but so many businesses try and please everybody. And, and when you look at the marketing mix, you know, if you follow the Pareto principle, um, it's so, so, so true. Quite often you'll find rather than being 20% provide 80% of your sales, it could be 30% provide 70%. But the principle's so right. So let's not concentrate on the uh, other 70% that provide so little. Let's concentrate on the 30% that provide so much and, and actually make sure we give them everything they want. Mm. I, I suppose what's also I find quite interesting is things like you can spend a lot of time social mediaing and, uh, and a lot of time doing a lot of that kind of marketing activity, which is always good. But certainly for smaller businesses, um, I, I think the ones that are particularly successful, I, I find, are often those who, who are closer to their customers and focus their attention on developing great relationships. I, don't I know agree. Yeah, and there's so, but social media is still an important part of that. Now, unless it's in an area where there isn't an application, but if you can get, following the, what we were talking about earlier, get people to talk about us, social media is the right environment. So testimonials, I mean, social proof, you know, if you read uh, Robert Cialdini's book, uh, Influence the Science and Practice, social proof is such a major part in making it easy for people to say yes. So, uh, you know, if you develop a focused sales strategy, we need to get close to people. We need to get testimonials to provide proof. And we've got to be able to show our expertise there. And in the end, people like to deal with people they like. So getting getting close to your customer, that way you're going to find that knowledge. But you're also going to make them want to deal with you because they like dealing with you. Lovely. Well, earlier in the interview, you mentioned about value and about generating value. And I'd like to find out more from you about and how you kind of get this value equation right. So we're going to do that um, after a short break. So do join us again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. 
are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper, bemoreachievemore.com, cc1consulting.com. Uh, with Mike Ogilvy, we're talking about uh, about generating profit in, in kind of challenging times. Now, we just before the break, I mentioned about um, value because you uh, articulated it a little earlier in the interview, Mike. Um, how do you get your value equation right uh, today in today's marketplace? Well, I, I think we, we were talking about the AAA service as an example. And, uh, and I, I think when you're talking about products or indeed service, I, I think we've got to give people choice. Now, I'm trying to think. Um, there's an American consultant, very well known. I'm, I'm just mental blank at the moment, but um, I remember listening to him at a conference, and he said he, the research that he'd found clearly showed that you need to give three choices, not two, and no more, um, ideally, because too many more confuses. But two two choices is not enough. And if you if you give people the choice. You can then give them, say, so if you just use the terms gold, silver, bronze, you give people the choice and you use the thing called top-down pricing so that you always introduce your top um, product or your top service first. Um, and some people who can afford it um, will go for that. They want all singing, all dancing. Um, but if you then move down to your silver service, um, very few will actually go down to your bottom um, service. And so if you start with your bottom price, um, people will just go straight there and say, that's fine, that's all I want, because they haven't even bothered going going up to the uh, next level. But three choices gives people a chance, and quite often you'll end up getting the silver service used or the silver product um, because uh, they've had the chance to actually hear about it. So it all comes down to education. So if you're trying to get your value equation right, find out how you can differentiate your products and your services and give people the chance um, to uh, understand what it actually means. Because quite often if they choose you on price, what they're saying is there's nothing special about you. It's only the price. And if they, if they decide that, then if there's nothing special about you, they'll soon leave for somebody cheaper as soon as that person appears. So one of the easiest ways is just to get that service wrapper around you. But it could be, uh, you know, for example, I was in a nursing home yesterday and uh, we were talking about, having an a la carte choice as part of the gold service. And we say, right, uh, we were having problems with the team. They say, well, why Why should somebody, because they could afford to, um, why could they? Uh, why should they get better food or better facilities? And I said, well, exactly the same reason why people can elect to go to a bed and breakfast on holiday or a five-star hotel. It's all about choice. And I think what we have to do is try and educate people about the level of choice that they have available in using our services or our products. Mm. Um, and I suppose the reality, reality may well be that uh, there's a, another level of service that people might really want that you're not offering. Or Absolutely, could. because people talk about leaving money on the table because you say, well, here's, here's, this is the service. So if you've only got one price, um, that's it, take it or leave it. And of course, if you can put your price up, it all goes chink down to the bottom line. Um, so it improves your margin. So if if you don't know, some people um, won't want your gold service. Some people will only want your bronze service. But if you only offer them the bronze service, 
then those people who were prepared to pay for the gold service with the better value in their mind um, is just leaving money on the table that uh, could go straight down to the bottom line. It could sink into your uh, bank account. Mm. And, and, and like you were talking about uh, Caldini earlier on, and there's some human psychology, isn't there, about you know about people and uh, you know some people maybe have a little bit more ego, like you mentioned uh, the example there with uh, wanting to be associated and sponsor chefs. Yes. Um, some people uh, may not want to have the bottom service just because they perceive that as being cheap. Absolutely. I always, I always use the example of a motor car. Um, you know, we all we need is, uh, uh, with apologies to any Skoda drivers, because I know they're excellent cars, but, uh, you know, they might be perceived, uh, you know, a Skoda compared to, say, a BMW. All they need is a Skoda, but they'll go and buy a BMW because what they want to do is people who are their neighbours to see the BMW badge. Um, but they just, all they need is something to get them from A to B and not get, not get them cold. So it's identifying what people actually want and make sure we offer it to them. I think, I think you and I, Mike, are of a, a certain age group who remember Skoda being an absolutely <laughs> terrible brand. <laughs> so, so I think we probably, I, I, I'd very much struggle to, uh, to drive one of those. <laughs> but, uh, I'm cringing now because I think of all the people who drive Skodas who, and they, I know they're great cars now, but they never, in the old days they didn't used to be. No, some of them may not have known, know that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's, let's talk about uh, customer service quality. I mean, how much of an issue do you think it is today? Well, I, again, because I remember the, the whole principle about people rolling up your sleeves and getting on with it so you don't have time to think. So I think the customer service wrapper, as I call it, the sweet paper around the service or a product is just so important because even just around a, a product, if you think of a wrapper, the way it's presented on a shelf um, and the way people uh, present it to you in the service. I mean, in my conferences, I talk about a bottle of wine. Uh, we haven't got the time to go through that analogy now. But uh, the wrapper is so important in terms of defining what people per uh, perceive as value. Over here, uh, one of the easiest ways, I suppose, is to compare three airlines um, with apologies uh, to our American audience. But we've got British Airways um, compared to, say, EasyJet, who... Uh, who are sort of who founded themselves uh, compared to your Southwest Air, and then Ryanair, who are cheap and cheerful. And when we talk about customer service, when uh, Stelios uh, formed EasyJet, he said, you know, customers are really important, but what customers need to understand is these are our these are our ideas about customer service. And if um, hopefully we meet your ideas, but you need to let us know, and we'll, we will understand if you don't use us. Uh, British Airways said, look, we're fantastic. Um, we're, we're, we offer far better service than anybody else. You know, we're, we're the service of choice. Whereas Ryanair, they quite say, look, we don't care what our customer thinks because, uh, you can't get it cheaper anywhere else. We'll get you there on time. And it might be, uh, it might not be, uh, the best service that you have and it might not be the best food or anything else, but, um, you won't get it cheaper. And if you don't like us, go find somebody else. So it's a totally different area. And I, for one, will never fly Ryanair. Um, if I'm given the choice, I'd be quite happy to fly EasyJet because sometimes they're quite humorous. They do follow the Southwest Air um, principle and try and um, make a journey fun. And British Airways, they're actually trying to be much more um, accommodating in terms of service, but actually bringing down their prices to compete with the uh, cheap airlines. But customer service is so important. So people like 
ourselves who can choose, say, um, where it's not just about the cheapest uh, thing. It's the service that is going to define what the decision we make. Cool. Well, got, just got a couple of minutes left, Mike. So I want to I just cover on the f- final point with you because you talked to me about an eyesore review. Do you want to explain what that is? Yes. It's a play on words I use. So E-Y-E-S-A-W, but it's S-A-W could be, when you listen to it, it could be S-O-R-E, so something that's painful. And it's a technique I use with both business owners and also their team to look at themselves through the eyes of others. Um, and this, this normally finds the small things that can be improved with very little cost. You know, Tom Peters is famous for saying perception's reality. Well, I, an eyesore review will generally see what others might be perceiving bad about your business, but quite incorrectly. So what I do is say, just imagine that uh, you are a, uh, a business uh, who is looking for a new solicitor. What do you first do? Well, you go and look up the website. Um, what does that look like? And just imagine it's great and you've got your telephone number there on the right-hand side because it's the first, most thing people use for websites for. Um, and that's nice and friendly. So you think, well, that's okay. It's welcoming. Um, you phone somebody up. What's that phone sound like? Is it a miserable mackerel at the end who's going to put you down? That could be your most important customer. And yet, if you haven't actually listened to the way your phone is answered, it could actually put it off because if I've got somebody who sounds like a grumpy old miserable mackerel, I don't want to deal with that firm because I'll, I'll assume the rest of the people are going to be like that. And so on, we know when I turn up at the office, are there weeds outside? Is there a welcoming car park space outside rather than is it reserved outside for the managing director? All these things say to me, these, uh, these people don't matter. What we think about is ourselves. We're not thinking about our customers. So let's assume they've got that right. We actually walk in. What does the office look like? So when we go to reception, is that miserable mackerel still there? Is she looking up at you through her horn-rimmed glasses? Or is there a smiling face that stands up and welcomes you? If it's raining, is it somebody who jumps outside um, to your car park with an umbrella and says, come on in, you don't want to get wet? Are there little small things that are actually going to alter your perceptions um, of that business? And then, of course, the most important room in every business, the toilet, the lavatory. (laughs) How how important that is, because if they go in, so many people go and say, do you mind if I use your toilet before I have my meeting? And you go in there, and if that looks a dump, well, what does that say about your business? So I always think uh, it's a very old example, but uh, Jan Carlson, who wrote his books, Moments of Truth, about Scandinavian Airlines, when he helped rescue it back in the 90s, I think it might even be back in the 80s. I might have to stop you you there, Mike, because we're we're pretty much out of time. Sorry to leave you there in the toilet. Um, Although you're (laughs) on to Scandinavian Airlines, but it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thanks so much for being on the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you. Good. Uh, For more information about Mike, go to mikeoglevy.com. That's uh, Mike, M-I-K-E, Ogilvy, O-G-I-L-V-I-E.com. If you have any questions or feedback, please send it to Chris at bemoreachievemore.com or leave it on my Facebook page. Uh, Connect with me, facebook.com slash bemoreachievemore. Next week's show, we've got um, leadership experts. She wrote the leadership, uh, the guide to leadership for the Times, um, Marianne Abipesh. We're going to talk about all the key components of being a great leader in an organization. So uh, do join us again for that one. And uh, once again, uh, thank you very much, Mike Ogilvy. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. 
Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thank you.